0: Romans chapter 14, we have met with this discussion of what I've called gray matters. These are things that are not black and white. We like legalism in a sense. We're comfortable with legalism in a sense because it gives things a black and white nature. We know where we stand. We can judge ourselves. We can judge others. I'm in, you're out, that kind of thing. So there's a part of us that loves and is attracted to legalism. There's a part of us that's attracted to law. My wife, growing up in New York, being near New York City, she loves black and white cookies. Do you know what a black and white cookie is? How many know what a black and white cookie is? Are they good or not? You don't have to choose. You can have both, vanilla and chocolate on one cookie. But the cookie is there and half of it has chocolate and half of it has vanilla. It's a black and white cookie. And she loves black and white cookies. I love things that are black and white. But the reality is, I think you've come to notice, I hope you have, at least I have, that life is not black and white. Relationships are complex. People are complex. And we would like to reduce everything in our lives down to the simple black and white. But chapter 14 is for us in church, as well as those on the outside, but particularly for us when it comes to our worship, when it comes to our lives together when it comes to our community, how do we deal with some of these issues that even in the word of God are not black and white? There are some things, as we said last week, that are black and white. Paul made a list of them just previously. If you look back up in chapter 13, he's talking to the church about walking properly, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust and strife and envy. So these things, he said, there are some things that are black and white. But there are matters of practice, matters of opinion. Well, there's some opportunity to employ your own conscience. There's some subjectivity to things. In other words, when it comes to some matters in life, it might be right here, but not there. It might be right for him, but not for her. You see, sometimes context matters. Sometimes company matters. Where I am and who I'm with, that may all be combined together to determine if what I want to do, even what I have the freedom to do, I should do or should I abstain. And so for the Jew and the Gentile in the church at Rome, it really came down to, for them, big issues about food. Big issues about what they eat, not just what they eat from a nutritional and dietary standpoint, but what they eat in terms of, does this please God or not? The Jew growing up with very restrictive laws and regulations about what they ate and how they ate it and how it was prepared. And then the non-Jews with tremendous permissiveness. One side was restrictive, the other side was permissive. They didn't have any such laws or rules. And now they're trying to share a fellowship meal together. How many of you have ever been on a diet? How many are willing to admit they've been on a diet? Some sort of diet. You know, you're doing the Atkins thing. You're doing all kinds of primitive diets and things now. I don't know, I'm i doing the just eat what God said in the Old Testament diet. I'm doing, there's all these different kinds of diets. How many of you have at one point in your life said, you know what, I'm cutting out sweets for a time. How about that one? I got to back off the sweets a little bit. And then you show up at work and there's the donuts and there's the candy dishes. and And then people are going out to eat together and everybody's having dessert at this fellowship and you're just like, you know, I was trying to cut back and then you feel pressured and then so you eat the dessert and then you go home and how do you feel? Guilty, like failure. Oh, it's so hard. So then the next time the fellowship comes around, the next time people invite you to dinner, and you go, I'm not going to go. I just can't go. Because I'm trying to eat a certain way and other people don't have that conviction and so they're enjoying their desserts and I'm not in a place right now where I can. And think about that with how it affects our relationships and ability to come together. And how do we navigate those gray matters when it comes to issues that we talked about last week? How do we navigate that when it comes to wine and beer and alcoholic beverages? How do we navigate that when it comes to modesty? How do we navigate that when it comes to some of these areas in our lives? Well, the first section, chapter 14, verses 1 through 13, Paul talked about the freedom that we have in Christ and how we are the servants to Jesus, not each other, that we don't have to and we should not set up a situation where I am living to please you, but rather to please God, that my convictions have to come from God and not from peer pressure from what you're pressuring me to do because it's what you want. It's because it's the opinion that you have or it's the way you grew up or it's the way your last church did it in my last church. People seem to understand that everybody should dress a certain way to church. But in this church, huh, there's all kinds of different things. And So cutting of the hair. I've had people come in and see people in tattoos. and go, oh, huh, what kind of church is this? People have tattoos, you know? Well, you gotta sort these things out. That person who has those tattoos, that person who's wearing those flip-flops, that person who has his ball cap on, they don't live to please and serve you. And to tap dance around your opinions, they live to please and serve the Lord. Look, we have to give the Lord a little bit of credit, right? I mean, he's not as fast as you and I would like him to be. But he's at work in people's lives. And we have to have that patience and that determination to walk with one another, to bear with one another in love while God produces change that's lasting and real. You see, if they change to conform to your image, then as soon as they're out of here, they'll do what they want anyway. And they're just going to be feeling like it's an obligation and like they're constrained to do it because they won't be accepted by you if they don't do it. But when God produces the change in a heart, when God brings the conviction, then there's certainty and it lasts. And that's what we want in the body of Christ. So we talk about freedom and ultimately look at verse 12. We'll just back up and we're going to get a running start into verse 13. Verse 12, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So instead of being an expert on what other people should do and how other people should keep your convictions, what Paul says is that we have to be experts on keeping our own convictions before God. Not only do we have trouble with what other people are doing and what we say they should do, but the challenge in our lives is doing what we think we should do and our own inconsistencies. And so being convicted and convinced about a certain thing Paul is talking for them about the Sabbath and the food laws, and that was what was meaningful to them. We have to take it and apply it to some of the things in our day and age. And let me say this as a caveat too. We are dealing in gray areas and opinions. So you might leave the sermon today and go, well, I don't agree with Steve. Well, okay, right? That's why we're here because, you know, you've got to come to your conviction. I'm going to share some stories, practical things, because I don't want to leave here just having had a good sermon with really not understanding how it applies to our lives. So I'm going to show you how some of these passages have helped me formulate my own thoughts and opinions about things as I've been engaged in practicing in ministry for the last 16 or 17 years. So you might hear my story and go, I I don't think I agree with that. Well, that's why we're here because that's what Paul is saying. You may not agree with this. You got to work it through for yourself. It's okay if you're wrong because I'm right. And that's just the way it is. But ultimately, he said, we have to give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, verse 13, and I kind of left this hanging last week, said we would start back with this this week. Therefore, he said, let us not judge one another. Judge in terms of you know placing someone above or below. To judge means to formulate an opinion, to be critical. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't really like what that person does. I don't like how they're dressed. I don't think that that's appropriate. Well, See, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. There's a place to counsel. There's a place to confront. But in terms of these matters of opinion, these gray areas, let's not judge one another anymore. But rather, there's a positive side to this. Rather, resolve this or judge this. It's the same word. Rather, judge this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So he says, if you want to judge something, if you want to have an opinion about something, you should have an opinion about what you do, your own self, and your decisions, not to put a stumbling block. And it's just a word that means a stone that you trip over, a stub. Maybe you've been walking through the woods, you know, Pleasant Grove or something like that, and there's a stick or a root, and you trip over it, and that's a stumbling block. Or the one I like also here is that Paul uses the word a cause to fall, or it's literally a snare, and to me, as we talk about things like alcohol and modesty and, and some of these issues, I think a snare is that thing when you hunt, sometimes you don't use a bow and arrow, you don't use a gun, you use a snare, you use a piece of wire connected to a stick of some sort, and when that wire is tripped, that snare closes and the animal is caught. So there are freedoms, and maybe I'll tip my hand a little bit here, there are freedoms that we have the right to have. And don't we live in a time where everybody's all about their rights, I mean, this is my right, and you got to just understand this is my right. I don't care how it affects you. I don't care it affects anybody else. It's my right, and I have the right to do it. I'm going to fight for my rights. And we do have rights, but we also have to live in a community. And so although I may be free to do something, it's not going to affect my relationship with God. I'm saved by grace and not by what I eat or what I wear. Tell me you know that, church, right? Not saved by a shirt and a tie. Not saved by a King James-only Bible. These are external matters, not eternal matters. I'm not saved by these things, so I'm free to do them. I understand that. But the greatest freedom, now this is the whole of the sermon. If you get nothing else out of this, this is it. The greatest freedom, the person who's really free is also free to give up their freedom for the sake of another, for the sake of love. So although I have the right to do it, I may choose not to do it based on, again, context and company. Context and company. Remember those two things. We'll talk about them as we go along. So a stumbling block, if somebody is weak, if somebody is struggling, if someone has a certain set of convictions that they really take seriously, they grew up in a certain way, certain kind of church, certain thing, certain family, and they've got these convictions, the last thing you want to do is put pressure on them and try to get them to run as fast as you are running in grace. I mean, if you're running fast in grace, then praise the Lord, right? Enjoy that but don't drag someone else along. Have you ever gone running with someone who's faster than you or slower than you? I mean, how rude would it be to grab them by the shirt and you're know you like a six minute miler and I'm like a six minute 50 yarder, right? And then I'm gonna grab you and drag you along with me because I'm fast and you're slow. So the answer is that I have to drag you along with me. No, that's not the answer. The answer is I need to slow down and wait for you and be patient with you. That's what Paul is trying to say to us as Christians. That's the attitude that we're supposed to have. So let's not cause someone else to suffer undue guilt or feelings of broken conscience because we have some freedom that we enjoy. All right, so verse 14, he begins to expand on this. He says, I know for himself, I know, and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus, not by you or not by a denomination, I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Things are things. Material things are material things. The internet is a tool. It is not clean or unclean of itself. God created back in the book of Genesis. He created everything and he said, it's what? It's all good. He was the one that invented that statement. It's all good. And the last thing is very good. It's very good. So God created all. He created lobster and he created all these things that then you go forward and then there's these laws that come into play, and, and the Jews are trying to work that out. But when God created, it's all good. It's all good. So we learn in other places, Paul quotes from the Old Testament, he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I mean, it's all good. So there's nothing unclean in and of itself. Food, that type of food, it doesn't make me commend me before God if I eat it or don't eat it. That's not a thing before God So Paul says, you know, there's nothing unclean of itself. And the word unclean would mean to be avoided. It's like a synonym for dirty. Something is dirty. It's something to be put away from you. So they would say, well, that kind of food, that is unclean. I can't do that. I have conviction about that. But Paul says there's nothing in and of itself that is unclean, but to him who considers anything unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, wait a second that sounds pretty subjective. That doesn't sound so black and white, right? You know what I mean when I say subjective? It's subject to your understanding. It's subject to your conscience. Now, remember, we're not talking about moral actions. We're talking about material goods. Material goods are used then to accomplish moral or immoral actions. It's not the material good. Look, we're all in this fight. God help me if I get off track on this, but We're talking about gun control and all these issues with gun. A gun is a thing. It's an object. It can be used to protect. Aren't we glad that our sheriff's department carries guns? It's used to protect or it can be used to do harm. So a gun is a thing. Food, lobster is a thing. A cow or a pig, pork, these are things. But then these things can be assigned to them moral values. And that's where we start to deal with issues of conscience and sin and so on. There's sometimes the thing, let's talk about human intimacy and sexuality. These things are good and clean. Some people grew up thinking that those were unclean things, but they're good and they're right and they're proper when they're in the right place and used in the right way. But then you take something out of its context and in the wrong company, and a thing that God meant for good can become unclean or bad. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. So there's a matter of conscience. Yet, verse 15 says, if your brother is grieved because of your food, he's, he's brought to a place of sorrow, he's bugged by it, he feels sadness because of it. It, it affects him personally. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Can you underline that? Because Christians would say, well, I'm walking in freedom. Christ died to set me free. For freedom, I have been set free. You can quote Bible verse after Bible verse about standing in grace and being free and all that. But sometimes there's a greater law, there's a greater walk, the walk of love, actually trumps and is higher than the walk of freedom so you can say you're walking in freedom but not be walking in love and what god wants you to do is walk in love first and then freedom follows that let me read for you first corinthians chapter 8 this passage has ministered to me numerous times this one sentence and i'll highlight it as we go through we get a little understanding about context in this one Verse 9 of chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians says, Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. So we see the connection between the two passages. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, meaning that you know that there's no such thing as idols, no such thing as any other gods besides our one and true God. But if you have the knowledge of that thing, and because of that you go and you eat in an idol's temple, back in those days in Corinth, and Rome, they had a lot of idolatry, pagan idolatry, and they would sacrifice to their gods. And you could get a really cheap steak by going to what's called the shambles. You would go to the shambles and get your meat, but you don't know where the meat came from. And the meat that you're buying there, it was on sale. It had been sacrificed to Zeus or it had been sacrificed to Aphrodite or whatever. I'm just giving some Greek God names. So they sacrifice it part of it gets eaten there in the celebration the ceremony and then the other part of it's on sale down at E.W. Thomas or whatever and you go well, I don't know where this is from if it was sacrificed to idols or not so maybe I got a conviction if it was sacrificed to an idol maybe I shouldn't eat it but then he says but what if you're there in the idol's temple eating the meat during the ceremony he said will not the conscience of him who was weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols Maybe they've just come out of Zeus worship, and then they see you hanging out in the Zeus temple going, I'm free. I know there's no such thing as Zeus. It's a mythological thing, so it doesn't bother me. I'll have my meat right here. But that might stumble somebody else who's still come out of that. They're still weak. Do you see what I'm saying? How many of you know somebody right now who's just weak in their faith in terms of maybe they've come out of addiction, and I'll share some stories in a minute about that? Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered of to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Get sucked back into Zeus worship or whatever the case might be. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Now this is the verse that gets me. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. He says, which is more important? The person I love, whom Christ died for, or satisfying my desire to have a stake. Which would be more important to you? Because there's a lot of people in the church, outside in the world. I mean, you know, again, we live in a world where people say, what's most important is my rights, not your conviction. And I will go to battle to make you violate your conviction because of my rights. And when it comes to food or anything else that we do in our lives, I want to be in a place where I'm free. I'm really free and that means I'm free to have a glass of wine and I'm free to not have a glass of wine depending on the context and the company. So let me give you a for instance. I'm going back to Romans 14 and my for instance is a trip I took, a mission trip a number of years ago. Some of you have heard this story. I'm not sure I use it because, you know, you have those stories in your life. You have those times in your life like a defining moment and you go, ah, now I understand what God is saying. So I'm on this mission trip. It's a mixed group. Uh, we're in Ukraine doing some orphanage ministry, some people that I knew from this community, some people from other communities in Northern Virginia area. And we go off to Ukraine together. And during the mission trip, we go out to eat in the evening time. And I've gotten to know this one young guy. He's been a little withdrawn, you know, in his early 20s and that we're rooming together. And I start to talk to him. I find out that he's coming out of within the month, within the last month, he had gotten off of ecstasy and gotten off of alcohol, had been alcoholic, and he had been addicted to ecstasy, party lifestyle. He got saved, radically saved, and he just left all of that. Still smoking cigarettes, which he was getting criticized for. I'm not sure if that kid saved you smoking cigarettes. I'm like, man, give the kid a break. Like last week he was, you know, on ecstasy, losing his mind. I think he's doing pretty good. But so one night comes and it's time for the group to go out to dinner. Now, most of the people in the group don't know this young man. I happen to know they go out to dinner We go to meet them there and we get to dinner and the group has ordered a couple pitchers of beer. And so there they are at dinner having pitchers of beer. And I'm like, okay, Tim, we got to get out of here because he's fresh out of alcoholism. And so did that group have the right to have some pitchers of beer at dinner? Again, avoiding drunkenness. Sure, they had the right to do that. But they didn't know who else was on the team. They didn't know what else they were dealing with. And rather than thinking about, wow, we don't know these other people. Maybe we should avoid this just in case they indulge. And we couldn't eat with them because this kid, his conscience was still so convicted and his life was still so messed because of alcohol in his life. He couldn't do it. So it broke fellowship. We do this when we go to Israel. You know, we go to Israel, the hotels, sometimes they give us bottles of wine. And we have to say right ahead of time, look, you may have the freedom to have a glass of wine for yourself, But as a group, you don't know, we've gone to Israel with, again, mixed group, people that have come out of addiction. So out of sensitivity to others. That's what Paul's trying to say, is the things that we do in our life, it's not just about how they affect us, it's about how they affect other people. So because of this, on that trip, we say, hey, look, no wine, like just abstain. And if someone's got a problem with that, then I say, maybe you're really not free. Maybe you need to get some help dealing with your own issues with alcohol because if you can't say no to alcohol for two weeks while you're in Israel, then maybe you're addicted and don't know it or aren't willing to admit it. You see, the free person is really free to say, I can live with it. I can live without it. I can do with it. I can fast if need be, whatever. It's just food. It's just wine. It's just a drink. I'll have water. I'll have soda, whatever. Are we together on this? We see what Paul is trying to say. Yet if your brother's grieved because of your food or your wine, and he does bring drinking into this, you're no longer walking in love. I want to walk in love. You want to walk in love. And sometimes that means giving up something we have the right to do out of sensitivity, empathy, compassion for somebody else. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. I mean, picture Pastor Steve. There I am in Food Lion. I've got my Briar's ice cream. I've got my little plastic box of lettuce and got my stuff. And there I am. I'm in the line and I've got my bottle of wine. Now that bottle of wine might last me a year. I might keep it in the fridge a year, but then I'm in line and I see a guy. One of your husbands is there. And I know he struggles with alcoholism. He's been dealing with that. I've seen the effects in the family. Now what happens is he sees me with my bottle of wine in my cart. And all of a sudden, ding, the lights are going off. Pastor Steve drinks. He doesn't know if I polished that bottle of wine off in a night or 10 years. He doesn't know. doesn't matter. Because what happens is then he goes home and says to his wife, who's been telling him, you need to get help for your alcohol. He says to her, well, Pastor Steve drinks. And she says, how do you know? I saw him in Foodline, had a bottle of wine in his cart. We laugh, I mean, but this is true. Because then now I've become fuel for the fire of alcoholism, I've become a justification for drinking to someone else who's weak in their faith, doesn't have the faith to trust God instead of alcohol. They're weak, they're not there yet. Praying they would be, but I don't want my life to become a stumbling block to somebody else who's there and to become this an issue. So for me, I don't have the right to do that, to buy a bottle of wine at Food Lion because I do not want to destroy with my wine or food or whatever it is, the one for whom Christ died and their whole family and able to justify living in that place. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. He says, therefore, verse 16, my freedom is good, but my good freedom can be spoken of as evil if it causes someone else to violate their conscience. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking or what I dress in or how I look The kingdom of God is not about those things. These are, again, these are material things. These are inconsequential things, but how they're used and how they contribute to or take away from, detract from our relationships, that's what matters. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is about. Righteousness, doing what's right, having a right relationship with God and with people. Not being so right that I've actually become wrong. Righteousness. And don't we need more of this peace? You see, in a world where everybody is fighting for their rights, what I find is we miss out on peace. So you go, ha, I got my way. Well, have fun because now you're all alone. You're alone with your way. And But look, you watch the news. You know people. We're in a terrible state as a nation because we're all isolated because everybody's demanding their rights. And we've forgotten what love really means. We've forgotten how to love each other in the midst of our differences in our gray areas. Righteousness, and this is in the church, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's just so much peace and joy when there's that love between us, where we can decide, you know, when the youth are going to a movie together, and they know that there's some kids whose parents don't want them to watch this, How many of you parents have struggled with, your kids are going to somebody's house and those kids are allowed to play these video games, their parents not convicted about that, but you are convicted about that. So now this creates a dilemma because they're gonna go over to that house and they're gonna be playing those video games and you don't want your kids playing those video games. So it can cause breaks in fellowship. So what we need to do is be sensitive and say, hey, we're gonna all go to a movie and we're gonna go to a movie that we all feel comfortable watching. I have the right to go see that R-rated movie. But this person, their conscience tells them, you know, look, I don't want to see R-rated movie. Man, we had a movie recommendation the other day and put it in, watched about the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, I can't watch this. Not because I don't feel like God's going to be pleased with me if I watch it, but because it's going to mess with my brain. Like, I got to go to sleep and I don't want to have these images in my brain. I just don't. So if you're going to go to that movie, you're going to have to go without. But if we can decide, decide on a movie together then we can go to a movie. And we've had that happen in our youth group. Those issues arise. Don't let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. That's what we're all searching for anyway, right? I want to be acceptable to God and approved by men. That's what all the legalism is about anyway. I'm going to try to do what people ask me to do, and I'm going to try to do what pleases God. What pleases God is when you're sensitive to the needs and the conscience and the convictions of those around you. Therefore, verse 19 says, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify or build up another person. Do not destroy or literally tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are pure. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor to drink wine. I told you he'd get there to the wine thing. Nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So there we have again this principle. He applies it to food. He applies it to drinking. He applies it to anything else that might cause a brother in Christ Or sister, you know, applies both ways, to stumble in what their convictions are. So how does this thing work out in your life? you got to memorize these things, and you have to be ready to apply them as they happen. You have to be ready to apply and understand what the principles are. You see, we want the law. What's the law say about drinking? Well, we're going to give you some principles. I already told you, be careful of context. It might be fine for me to have a glass of wine with my wife at home, but not down at the local bar in Scottsville. And here, you know what else has complicated all this? Can I say two words to you? Social media. Social media has really complicated this because if you're home and you're enjoying something that should be private, once you put it on social media, it becomes public. And then that's why I'm not on Facebook because I don't want to have to see what you're doing in your private time. I don't want to have to be the sin police or the conscious police and go, I'll tell me they didn't do that. That's what he says. Look, like he says that next. He says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Do you see that principle? Do you believe you have the freedom to do that? So we've bit into it. We might as well keep chewing on it, right? Because we want to make this practical. Let's talk about issues of modesty. The difficulty, I have to explain to women that men are visual. Men are visual. And we don't want you to come in here and have all the attention on you. We want men to be able to attend to their wives and to the Lord. And so if you choose to take some liberty with what you wear and come and all the attention is on you, that detracts. It's not thoughtful to the group in here. Well, so again, I mentioned it last week. How low should the skirt be? How high should it be? What is the parameters? I can't tell you there's parameters. I can't make up a law. That we fall back into legalism. But what I say is there's a sensitivity to will I be drawing the attention to myself? You see, because the common thing to say, the response I see when I talk about things like rights is, well, they should just get over it. Well, if wine is an issue for you, you should just get over it, right? But that's the exact opposite of what Paul is saying. He's saying, no, you should get over it. You need to deal with it as well. That's the beautiful thing about love. Love says, you know, maybe if I'm going out with girls, then I can wear this. Or maybe if I'm at the beach, you go to the beach and there's different kinds of bathing suit. You know, people have different convictions. Some girls feel that they can wear a bikini and other girls feel like that's not modest enough and they want to wear one of the skirt things. You see what I'm saying is that there's a matter of conviction there. And there's a matter of sensitivity. What were the two things I said? Company and Context. So if the girls are going to the pool together, you might take some more freedom. You're going to be laying out, getting a tan. It's just the girls. You might have the freedom to wear something that's a little skimpier than if you were going in a mixed group for the youth group to a pool party. And so there's not a rule. We don't have rules. What we have are principles. And as we work out these principles together, in this church, we are from all over the board. Legalistic, fundamental backgrounds, gang bar backgrounds. And so then we're here having fellowship together. And the danger is when you see some of the ladies that come from a fundamentalist background, see a girl come in and she's got a low cut top or a tiny little skirt on or some tight skinny jeans on. And they're going, well, who does she think she is dressing like that? Well, you know, but if she's used to work at the bars, maybe that's an improvement. So again, I say this to say there's a sensitivity, there's a compassion, there's an empathy. And the hard thing I think for us is you got to get out of your own mind. See, we live in our own mind and how things affect us and how it affects me and what it means to me. But to be compassionate, to be empathetic, to walk in love, you have to get out of your own mind and you have to think about what you're doing and how is this going to affect other people in my life and in my community. And if you have faith, if you believe and have no conviction about that, then you have the freedom to do it But be sensitive that maybe that's something you do privately. We don't want to blur the lines with social media between public and private. That's one of the damaging things about public media. It blurs the lines between public and private. So if you have faith, hey, enjoy it. Live it up. Do it before the Lord. Enjoy your freedom and all that comes with it. You want to listen to that music? You want to watch that movie? You can do that. Happy or blessed is the same word Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So don't subject yourself to peer pressure. Peer pressure to, oh, well, come on. I know you used to be in a fundamentalist background and you were a total abstinence person, but yeah, yeah, we're at Calvary Chapel now. It's grace, man. Now, come on, we're going to go down to the winery, you know. We're all going to have some wine together. But if that person is convicted about it, like you would be wrong to pressure them into enjoying your freedom because they don't have the freedom yet. And so we're all much happier when we can work out our own convictions, decide what's good and bad for us, and give each other the freedom to work that out too and say, oh, okay, we won't go there. We'll go somewhere else. We'll do that. If you have faith, have it to yourself, happy, blessed, living on a higher plane is really what that word means, is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats or drinks because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. Wow, so that gives even a new definition to sin. I mean, sin is not always what we think it is. There are sins of commission, right? A sin that I commit. I do something that's prohibited clearly in the word of God. That's a sin of commission. I committed a sin. There are sins of omission. Do you know what that is? There are sins that I commit by not doing something I should do. James said that for him who knows to do good and does it not, it's sin. And then we have here a whole nother category that Paul says, whatever's not from faith is sin. If you do something that violates your own conscience and convictions, to you, it is sin. So there is, in a sense, a subjective nature to sin. That might not be sin. Listen, it's not sin for me to have a glass of wine. It's not inherently sin. The Bible doesn't prohibit having a glass of wine. Paul tells Timothy, have a glass of wine for medical reasons. Drunkenness, what's that? Sin. That's black and white, but a glass of wine, not a glass of wine. So for me, it doesn't stumble me. I can do that. But for you, that might be sin because you know where you came from. You know what it's done in your life. You know what it's done to your family. You know what it's done to your parents and their divorce and all that. You've seen alcohol just rage. Nothing good comes from it. And you've seen it destroy. So, you know, for me, I got to stay away. That's sin. So that's the key is whatever's not from faith. If you can do it and you can feel good about it and you can do it before the Lord and you can say, hey, Jesus, we're going to do this together. Then you have the freedom to do that. You can enjoy it in faith and it's not sin for you. But if you can't, If it's your pressure you're responding to or someone else's encouragement, look. don't encourage each other to break your conscience. That's so important. So again, as I close out this passage, we have to determine to get into the word of God and hash out where you stand on these gray matters for yourself. And once you stand there, enjoy your convictions and stand with those and lean on those and hold on to those and keep them for yourself. And I think we'll all be a lot happier, won't we? Grace is complicated, isn't it? All right. The greatest freedom, listen carefully, the greatest freedom you can have and enjoy in your life is the freedom to give up your freedom for the sake of loving somebody else.